Guys, what's up? It's Kate. This is Date Fails. Oh man, I've got a great sponsor uh, that's just joined the podcast, CBD Lion. Guys, CBD Lion is honestly incredible. I have dabbled in CBD products for a little while, and now CBD Lion has sent me the biggest variety I've ever seen of THC-free CBD products. Everything from uh, products to help your anxiety or lower your stress or help you sleep or help with a hangover. God knows I've had plenty of days I'm hungover and I'm like, what can I use to feel better? And now I have so many answers. CBD Lion products have you covered to make your day go smoother. If you're stressed out from a breakup, which I have been, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, try CBD Lion. You can use their products before or after hitting the gym. Maybe you get aches and pains after the gym. CBD Lion has scentless lotions you can try out for those aches and pains. They've also got vegan organic gummies that come in three great flavors. They've got flavorless tinctures to drop under your tongue or mix in with your morning coffee or smoothie. Plus, they've got 10 different flavors for the hugest selection of vape products. CBD Lion products are great for anyone who wants to relieve some stress sleep better, feel healthier. I highly recommend it, guys. And listen, CBD Lion is also great for those who want to enjoy THC products but get that paranoid feeling or anxiety. You can mix in your favorite CBD Lion product with your fave cannabis product and kiss that paranoid anxiety goodbye. Check out their great selection of products that are all third-party lab-tested for quality at CBDLion.com. If you don't know what product suits you, you can just give them a call and their customer service can point you in the right direction. I mean, guys, CBD Lion, it's Joey Diaz approved, so you know it's good shit. Make sure when you go to CBDLion.com, you type Kate in the coupon section to receive 20% off your order. Guys, seriously, I have been using the gummies and the vape to help me sleep, and I have trouble sleeping. And since I started using CBD Lion, I have been knocked out when I want to be. It's really calming me down. So again, guys, please, CBDLion.com, use the code KATE for 20% off. Don't let me down, guys. Support the sponsors that support the show. Also today, I've got Bombas back supporting the shows. Thank you so much, Bombas, for supporting Date Fails. Bombas makes socks that are comfortable and look great for whenever you need with a wide variety of options. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit bombas.com slash datefails. Guys, let's party. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that rap music in the background. I think they can probably barely hear it. But guys, I'm here. This is Date Fails. I am live from the Ice House in Pasadena, California. I'm in a really good mood because one, my guest today is my very good friend, uh, also the booker of the Ice House. Now, can I say that? Yeah. Okay. The official booker of the Ice House, but also has booked like every comedy club in LA, basically, not the comedy store. Okay, not the Laugh Factory, but John Lovett's Comedy Club, the Improv. What the else? improv I less booked, and I was more managing, but I did put comics up all the time. Yeah, you were always involved. You've been in the comedy... Well, before we go into that. Uh, D. Burdett, everyone. Ow! I feel like you're a jack-of-all-trades, though. You do, like, literally... You guys don't understand. <laughs> D and I, we became friends over the years. Um, 
I have to be honest. When I first met you, I really thought you didn't like me. Like, I really thought you hated me. Back at Lovitz Club, I was like, oh. That was just the vibe there. Well, <laughs> no, I think, I think it was fair because I think everybody was like, oh, this bitch. What does she think? Like, she's wearing bikinis everywhere and she's probably not funny. I don't know. It was in my head, maybe. I think a lot of it was in your head. And a lot of it was just that was a stressful place to be. I took a five-year hiatus from comedy after that. Did you really? Yeah. John Lovett's Comedy Club was a weird... So this is going to be an interesting podcast because for people that are comedians, which actually, shockingly, a lot of young comedians listen to my podcast, which kind of creeps me out, guys, because they come up to me and they know things that, like, I don't listen to anyone's podcast. Do you listen to comedy podcasts? I listen to crime podcasts. Yeah, me too. I'll listen yeah. to like occasional po- comedy podcasts when it's an interesting guest or if it's just somebody that's got one out and I want to support and I have time, like I'll listen to one. But yeah. for the most part, I when I'm not working in comedy, I just try and kind of disconnect. And I'm super into like really macabre entertainment. Me I love too. crime shows. Do I you love- fall asleep watching crime shows like I do? Stop it. I, no. I, dude, I fall asleep to Criminal Minds. Oh, yeah. And Law & Order SVU. Every, in fact, when I was married, my ex-husband was like, this is really bothersome. Like, the sound is people being murdered and attacked, and you're, like, falling asleep to this? Like, how, how is this healthy? And I was like, I don't know. It just really, really soothes me. Yeah, the intro to Law and Order is like a sleeping pill for me. Right? I will knock out. Me too. Which Law and Order? That like I can't watch the basic one that's all about law. It has to be SVU. I'm obsessed with SVU. I'll watch both, but SVU is like my jam. SVU is the best show. <laughs> it's the best show ever. Like I'm, I'm so obsessed with it. When it ends, it's been on for like 20 years. 25. They just finished 25 years. I really am like a Law and Order <sighs> SVU junkie. I watch it all. In fact, I even paid to watch this whole last season on Amazon Prime because I don't get basic cable, as you know. (laughs) Dia spent a lot of time with me, so she knows me very well, too well, to be honest, because she has access to my photos, which freaks me out on the regular, by the way. Because I let D, because D books this club, so I just give her access to my calendar so that she can see what dates I have open, and then that means she can see other things, I think. So... I respect your privacy. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> no need to not be able to make eye contact in the future. Yeah, I'm so embarrassed already. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, because I had like one boyfriend since I met her, so I was like making things dirty things I don't normally do. Don't go looking now if you haven't. Anyway, <laughs> no. all right. So let's talk about Lovitz Club for a minute because that's where I met you. Yeah, that was in God 2013. How do you know? Because I left Laugh Stub. Oh, they had just gotten acquired, and I left Laugh Stub. I opted not to stay on, and I left and worked with Lovitz. I thought you worked at Laugh Stub after Lovitz No, Club. it was before. I went from the improv to Laugh Stub, and then right when they got acquired, because I was there, I want to say almost four years. At Laugh Stub? Uh-huh. And for, people and that- for half of that time, I actually worked Laugh Stub and the improv. I, they didn't I just like cut me loose right away. I was. I remember. I would come in and close a couple of nights a week, regardless, yeah. until people, my road work got heavy. For people who don't know, Lab Stub was. Is it still around, by the way? It is still around. We still use it here. It's just okay. under. Like I said, they got acquired, so it's yeah. called something else. It was kind of like Ticketmaster, but just for comedy. So it was just basically like a website you could buy comedy tickets. And, and now it's funny because there's so many like event bright. I feel like there's so many ways to buy tickets to shows. It actually confuses me now. There's oh, so many links. 
Yeah, so I think the difference between Last Step and what makes it a little bit more, even now through all the changes that it's gone through, a little bit more like Ticketmasters than the others yeah. is that they have like a super robust platform for actual box office. What does that mean? It means like when you call the club, it's not just a matter of buying tickets online. If you call, there has to be a way to sell you one from the box office. So box office has its own software and it's hard to nail. That was one of the reasons that I worked with Last Stub was that I knew box office so well, I knew what we needed at a club. This is the most fascinating, like this is a side of the business that I know nothing, like honestly, okay, you guys. <laughs> so we're on the patio at the Ice House, which by the way, if you're a local, like a Pasadena person, you should really be taking more advantage of this patio if you guys serve drinks out here at we happy do. hour because have a whole bar. I mean, there's a huge TV screen to watch sports, and honestly, this patio is like one of the nicest bar patios of any bar I go to anywhere in LA. And it's like no one, no one realizes you can just come here and have a drink and hang out. Yeah, like the comedy store, people go and just hang and have drinks all the time on the patio and don't see the shows. And I'm gonna start coming here. That's why I do that on the regular. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, we all do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this is like a great. I'm gonna start doing like my podcast here all the time. I'm gonna be here I all the time, it. you guys. <laughs> um, but so okay, so I met you 2013. And John Lovett's Comedy Club, well, I'm so grateful for that place because that's where I started Date Fails, number for one. For sure. Yeah. We so, had the podcast theater in the club. You guys had a podcast studio. You know what's sad? All those episodes of Date Fails, well, some of them I've gotten back, but I haven't been able to get the files online because the hard drive they're on is like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's past. I don't know. It's really hard to get into. Like, I need a hacker to get these episodes. <laughs> but, oh, they brought me nachos. Hold on. We have to pause. Thank you. Thank you. The famed Ice House chicken, the best chicken nachos in America. Holy cow, those look good. I have to show these to the camera. Can I show Please. these to the camera? Okay, hold on. Okay, yeah. So, Love It's Club. Uh, first of all, that place, how is it? <laughs> I love John. I have so many John Lovitz stories. Did I ever tell you about the time I played tennis with John Lovitz? Oh, yeah. And he took me captive. I've talked about <laughs> it on here, too. And I was stuck. We played tennis. It was supposed to be like an hour-long match. We played for like three hours. And then he hired a pro because he didn't think I was good to teach me a lesson. And his dog kept interrupting the game. Um, Jerry, Jerry Buckheimer was my favorite little creature. Is that the dog's his... full name? Yes. I think it's Jerry Buckheimer III. It was, it was, and he'd put him in like, he'd wear little shirts and oh, he was yeah. just. He took that dog everywhere. Everywhere. Ever, before people took dogs everywhere. This was before like emotional service animals were like really a big thing. John took that dog everywhere on stage even sometimes. But I think it was fine. I, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's LA and people just long before it was acceptable just took their dogs everywhere anyway. LA, I have a problem with the LA dog thing. I know. <laughs> I don't specifically because I have two. Like, here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's different here. I'm a it's, no. Well, no. The, these, this is a comedy club. It's different. I'm talking about dogs like at the Gap. I'm talking about like when you're at the mall shopping and like at Forever 21 and someone's dog like walks up and starts like licking your foot. Like to me, oh, that's just well. weird. They're I, everywhere here. Yeah, see, and I have the, I'm of the opinion that if you are going to take your dog in public, have them restrained. Like, with my little one, I'll take her, but I'll, she's in a papoose. Or 
What is a, a papoose? It's like a little sling, but for puppies. It's so like a carrier for your dog. Yeah. Like a baby, one like of those a, baby yeah, like things. Yeah, one of the baby swaddle swing things. <laughs> what about restaurant? Like, I was with Jim Florentine, who, by the way, I'll be with here Friday night this week. This goes up tomorrow morning. So this Friday night with Jim Florentine at the Ice House, two shows. But uh, we went out to eat in Huntington. And we went to, I forget the name of the place, right on the beach. It doesn't matter. They had a dog menu. Oh, food yeah. For dogs. Oh, yeah. I look for places like that, which is fantastic. Really? Oh, for sure. Well, because if you're somewhere out, like, for instance, Sunday, we had our, like, our house was being cleaned and, you know, cleaned out and everything. And so we had to keep the dogs out all day. And you can't just decide, like, oh, let's go to a mall. Because now they have, like, restrictions. And Good. although it's not legal to ask if something's a service animal, it's not. I still respect... No. I still respect everything and feel like I'm not going to take my dogs because they're not service animals. No one's dog is a service animal here, really. I mean, an yeah. emotional support dog is not a service animal. I mean, my dog's given me motion, more emotional support than most of my relatives. Oh, I believe you. I was not going to say that to any <laughs> of the guys like, that you date or something. And I believe that. But it's still not... A, like, you're not... You can make it through the mall. You can take a Valium. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> you is not joking. Um, well, all I know is I love dogs. But I think they should not be. I don't think that there should be like restaurants with dog menus unless they add that. I think it's fine that. if it's like a patio and that's a place where like it's designated. But as far as taking dogs inside a restaurant, I think that's gross. Like you could go to the <laughs> Olive Garden in Glendale and someone will have a dog at their They're table. They're not going to be the hairiest creatures there. <laughs> not in Glendale. It's like little Armenia. Well, anyway, you, but I didn't even know you had two dogs. Well, I have the dog. old one. Oh, that's, that's 15, right. and then now Ellie, the little one. Both your dogs are teeny. You could easily put them in a crate while the maid is over. Oh, the little one will be crated. The big one will not. You can't put it in a crate? No, and she's 15, so she's, like, losing her hearing, losing her eyesight, and just any change for her is already... Drastic. Dra yeah, she was better off just to chill in her car seat and, Aww. like drive around, go to the park. We took him to the dog park. See, now I feel bad for saying you shouldn't take the dog places because yours is like blind and old. <laughs> like now I'm like, well, you can't leave it at home. That's just cruel. <laughs> Where's the dog? Now I feel bad it's not right here. Where, where are the dogs? Are they at home? With They're the at home, but okay. I have, they have other people at home. So that's a right. plus. Well, uh, so, okay. So we met at Lovett's Club. And guys, here's the thing about Lovett's Club is, uh, first of all, it was great for me because it was like, Lovett's Club and the J Spot were the first two clubs in LA to pay me. And they couldn't have been more different because Lovett's Club was at Universal City Walk, which, by the way, it was weird because as a comedian, like Universal City Walk would be like a comedy club at Disney World almost in terms of just getting to it with parking and everything. It was like it was crazy. You had to go to like a theme park to play the club. But I always thought it was cool. Not a theme park, but the City Walk portion of it. Like it's like downtown Disney, downtown Disney. Yeah. So, but what was cool is, as a new comedian, they would put your photo up on the Jumbotron thing. So, like, I remember walking up and looking up and being like, oh, my God, my picture's up at Universal City. Like, I thought it was, like, the coolest thing ever, which it was. 
but that quad was like impossible to do well in almost. I, I, yeah, I came in and I have to clarify, I came in to Lovett's Club the last year that the last almost year that it was open it was the last year because it, it was closed, the last year because it closed in november of 2014 i left in i left in september yeah oh did you leave before close well yeah i had booked out through november and i knew they weren't going to stay open so i left it was a hard <laughs> room to do well in because it was a music venue so it was three stories tall which yeah anyone- it was like 500 seats it was very difficult to play to any kind of audience too because the stage was super raised Oh, Anything musical did amazing in there. Oh, music stuff. Like, the goddamn Comedy Jam would have murdered there. Like well, we had music. Super Naked every yeah, yeah. Friday. Yeah, they had a band. But what was cool about that place was I feel like they were on the forefront sort of of the whole podcast thing. Like, I mean, I started my po- That was in my podcast. That was seven years ago, I think. But here's, here's what's weird is those podcasts were never on iTunes. They were on the John Lovitz Comedy Network, which was like John made his own comedy network, JLCN TV. Yeah. So when the club closed, all those files went into some storage and they're not We online. had a YouTube at some point, like a YouTube know, channel as well. Gone. But I think when JLCN shut down, it was just everything, shut everything down. did. And what's crazy is, did you know that I am the only person that ever had Cat Williams on a podcast? And it's, oh, I yeah. can't get it. <gasps> it's like it's gone it's somewhere it's uh, it was on the internet so it's somewhere it's some someone find it guys crack the code i need that and cat williams told me i was a sex superhero did you know that oh i listened to the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> he said i'm a slump buster i sleep with guys that can't get laid for months and months and months and months and then they get me and then i think they'll fall in love with me and then they're like oh if i got her i can probably do even better and then they dump me and move on and cat says that that makes me like a, a sex superhero, even though I think it makes me a loser. That's an odd superpower to have. <laughs> Thank you. Slump busting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the other thing I want to talk about is you have a magnetic menstrual cycle. I don't want to embarrass you, but every time I see you, my period starts automatically. Oh, I'm the alpha for sure. You in that pull situation. me onto my period. I could be pregnant and I'll start bleeding, guys, which is possible. Kidding. Not pregnant. People are showing up for shows right now, and they're like, why are these people talking on the patio? Come listen to us. It's All right. fabulous. Your phone's going off. Do you need to answer it? No. Nope. I pulled her away from her real job, guys, booking this comedy club <laughs> to make her do this. All right, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Love okay. it, club. Give me the dirt, dude. You've been in comedy a long time. This oh. is a dating podcast. How many people did you catch fucking at John Lovett's Comedy Club? Oh, uh, not there. The improv was a different story. I have hooked up at both a little. I take that back. At, well, at Lovett's Club, it wasn't the artist, though. It was the staff. Really? Yeah. There wasn't that many staff. Well, they, they, I, that's why it was easy to know they disappeared <laughs> from the floor. Shut up. The waitresses and stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was only like three male employees, so they were fucking all the waitresses? Well, no. We, I mean, we had... We had door, we had bar, we had the, and there was couples in there too, like couples that worked. And so I'd be like, how did they both disappear in different departments? And I was like, damn it. There were a lot of places. And there were a lot of nooks and crannies in that club. That was a hookup club. Cause I kind of have a, I want to hook up in all the clubs, low key. (laughs) Like it's on my list. Like my, not all the clubs in the country here in LA. And I haven't done it here yet. I did stay a couple of nights at the club just because I had like, we had late night runs. You had sex at the club. Oh, no, no, not me. 
lies. <laughs> I don't believe her. Oh, no. You no, I did. I had to think for a second. I was like, oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I would believe it if you did. Um, no, because I don't date comics ever. You've never dated a comic? That's not true. I know you have. No. Never. Oh, okay. We're going to go with that story. <laughs> yeah, she's never dated a comic. Well, I mean, even if there was one at one point, we don't say who or anything. There's never any. No. He was a musician. <laughs> he what? Yeah. He wasn't a comic. Oh, all right. Well, I've dated comics, as you know. <laughs> but I'm done with that. I'm not dating. I'm telling you, mark my words. Last night, I really wanted to hook up with a comic. I'm be honest. One I have never slept with. We flirted forever. We've even made out a few times. And I was buzzed, and he hit me up, and it took every ounce of my strength and willpower because I haven't had sex in a minute, and I turned him down. And I was really proud of myself because I turned him down only because he's a comic. You're dying to know who it is, I know, but I can't tell you on this podcast. But it's someone, <laughs> okay. that, it's someone that if I did hook up with, it would definitely be like a hookup. We'd not date date, and we both know that. And I know it would be amazing because we made out a few times and he choked me a little. You know what I mean? You, went at the, you know when you kiss them and they... Come on. 20 questions? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know. I mean, come on, Dee. You know what's up. You've seen, I do. You've seen it all. All right, so then tell me how incestual is the comedy... Like, you must see a lot of things as a person who works in comedy clubs behind the scenes all the time. Like, like I could be dating a comic... And he could be here two nights later, and you know I'm dating him, and then you see him making out with someone or, or talk. Like, you must see this shit all the time, and you can't tell anyone anything. Yeah, I mean, well, you see things because you are behind the scenes. Right. And there's, and I've always, like, opened my home to comics. A lot of comics are my friends, like, you, apart from... You are amazing. Apart from that. actually working with them or being friendly with them at the club. I have a lot of comics that are actual friends. When I took my five-year hiatus, there's several that were just my friends that I stayed in touch yeah, with. Yeah, because I still saw you a couple times over the course of that. Oh, and, for sure. And texted with you and stuff. And also, guys, Dee's daughter, for a little while, worked at my uh, agent's... Like, she was my agent's assistant, your daughter. Oh, yeah. And so, like... Your family is so in the comedy community. She's I mean. spent her... She's going to be 27 in October, and she started working at the Hollywood Improv when she was almost... Fit. She was just old enough to get a work permit. She's amazing. You know, Joey Diaz said to me that your daughter is going to run a major network one day or run a major agency. He was like, she's going to own, like, half of Hollywood. Like, he, he loves her. She's, I mean... You always hope for better for your kids, but she's like a thousand times better than I could have hoped for. Honestly, first of all, this chick is dope. She's like cool. She's fun to hang out with. She's so young, mm -hmm. but you'd never know it. And not to like throw anyone under the bus, like my agent is amazing. I love him and I love everyone at Gersh. But when Des was there, her daughter, uh, I mean, my shit was so tight, meaning like you guys... Comedy, it can be really overwhelming when you're yeah. the comedian. You're, like, booking your own flights. You're trying to figure out... There's ideally somebody who's setting up, like, who picks you up from the airport? How do you get to the club? Like, what's the ETA of your pickup and drop-off for the shows? Blah, blah, blah. That's not your agent's job. Normally, you have an assistant or manager who does that. Dee's daughter did it all, <laughs> and I thought, yep. it was, I thought it was their job. 
Because no. I got an agent. It was my first comedy agent. And Desiree's doing all this. So when Desiree left Gersh, she went to work. Well, I won't say where she worked. She went to work at another network, at a network. And I started being like, every gig I would go to, I'd be like, guys, who's picking me up at the airport? What's going on? And my agent would be like, that's not our job. Desiree was doing that because she's like an overachiever. Like she was like running <laughs> the ship, dude. All right, we paused in the middle of... You were in the middle of saying something, too. And then we paused because people were talking loudly. Whatever. I'll cut it out. Here's what I want to know. You've been in the game. How long have you been working in comedy? I started... I just turned 47. I started when I was 27. So, so this year is my 20th year. Are we going to have a party and celebrate? <laughs> Can we do I a feel D's like I did. 20th anniversary in comedy show? Oh, that Ice would be House? fun. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I want to do a show, by the way. We could do it here. I mean, I'm sort of doing it already. Kate Q and Friends is sort of this. But I want to do a show called Them Too. And it's all male comics that somehow I've had some kind of inappropriate contact with. Like, anything. Like, they've hit on me. I've touched them. And female. Like, Nicole Amy Schreiber kissed me on the mouth the other night at the comedy store. Like, straight up kissed me, like, on the mouth. It was amazing. I love her, though. Her, I do, too. She's fucking amazing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Or Shantae Wayans is hit on me. Like, I could have just have everybody that, like, we've had any kind of flirtation in comedy and then talk about it on stage after their set. Like, tell what happened. Like, it would be so funny. Because it's every I comic. I love all of your ideas, too. Thank yeah. you. I mean, some of them probably don't want people to know, but I'm like, fuck it. Why not? Who cares at this point? Like, now I know I'm funny, so I can admit at the beginning, you can't admit that you've slept with comics. Now I'm like, whatever, I'm funny. Who gives a shit? I can sleep with whoever I want. They sleep with all the comics. The guys sleep with all the comics. But if I sleep with like five, I'm a whore. Or I'm like, you know? That's just male, female in general, I yeah, think. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. I agree. I don't mean to sleep with comics, but you know how it is. I don't go anywhere. You know me. Yeah. Where do I ever go? I'm here on my night off. I'm not even working today. I used to tell... So Chris Neff laughs about this. Chris Neff is a comedian. Very funny, very talented, um, but also a friend. And he, and I laugh because when we first got acquainted, acquainted, he asked me, so, you know, where do you date? Yeah. Where, how do you date? Not, that's what I want to know. How have you never dated a comic? Guys, before Dee talks about how many comics she's avoided dating and how she's avoided dating comics, I think this is a good time to talk about socks. Socks are important. I don't know how often you think about your socks, but nothing drives me crazier than I, when I put on a pair of socks that keep sliding down under my shoe or they smell too fast because they're not the right fabric or they're not comfortable or they're not cute. And now I think about my socks a lot because lately I've actually been getting to the point on my dates where men tend to see my socks. Not every date, but some dates. And I want to have nice socks. And guys, we want you to have nice socks. And that's why you should check out Bombas. Bombas are comfortable socks made from super soft, natural cotton. Every pair comes with arch support. If you're on your feet a lot, like I am on stage, you need arch support. It's important. And Bombas are cushioned. They have a cushioned footbed that's comfortable but not too thick. Plus, they've got lots of colors, patterns, lengths, styles. Bombas offers something for everyone. They look great in the gym, at the office, or out on the town. So guys, I want you to go get yourself a nice pair of socks that you can be proud of from Bombas.com. They sent me socks I love them. I've been wearing them often, and I'm going to get more, and you should too. That's right. 
Go right now to bombas.com slash date fails. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash date fails for 20% off your first purchase. One more time, that's 20% off your first purchase by going to bombas.com slash date fails. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash date fails for 20% off. Guys, take care of your feet. Get some good socks. Don't make me tell you again. I love you. Back to the podcast. I'm not big on dating in the workplace, like ever. No one like, is. So when, no, but even when I was like a server in my 20s. Where were you a server? Hooters. I start, no, Bennigan's. Shut up. I started Wait, at a Bennigan's when I was like 15. Santa Clara? They have Bennigan's out here? They have in Northern California. They have, the, it's still there. The I love Bennigan's. Bennigan's. The last one. Monte Cristo. Dude, we should go. <laughs> Let's take a road trip to Bennigan. That's like my high school. It would undo years of therapy, but sure. Because <laughs> you worked there? <laughs> Dude, I was, I, yeah, I found out I was pregnant with Desiree when I worked at a Bennigan's. That's right. You were really young when I you was got young. pregnant I was young. I was like 19. I was married when I was 19. No kids, though. I, yeah, no, I did it backwards. I mean, so you weren't married, but you had Des. Mm-hmm. God, that's insane. I mean, so hold on. You never fucked, sorry, dated. I'm trying to not Either. Use. It's fine. Anyone at Bennigan's? <laughs> no. And then where'd you I work? did roll home with a couple of customers a uh, couple of yeah. times. But for a majority of the time that I was at Bennigan's, I was like a minor, minor. Oh, you were underage? Way underage. Oh, okay. Well, that's a different story. Like when I was 13, they hired me and was like, you look 16. They didn't it's check? It's fine. No, I had a work permit, and to be real honest with you, it was like the 80s. They didn't give a, a shit. A work permit? Yeah. At 16, you were allowed to pour, to serve beer, you couldn't pour it. To serve booze, you couldn't pour it. Yeah, that's how, I'm from Ohio, and I actually worked underage in Olive Garden, and the rule was you could serve it, but you couldn't pour it. Same exact, and you couldn't open a bottle. Yeah, but you could be like 16 and do that back in the day. But people were all still, like, smoking indoors on planes. Oh, yeah. It was crazy time It was a nutty time. It was a crazy time. I know. It's weird. People did, like, cocaine for breakfast. I mean, people still do (laughs) that in in the community we work in. No, Joey Diaz told me how he used to do blow on airplanes all the time. Yeah, but this was just, like, the accountant did that shit. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't even... It was so not a big deal back then. It wasn't a big deal. It was, like, weed now. Yeah, for sure. So... But I still want to know. I mean, I understand being not big on dating in the workplace. Because then it, I, so I have like a kind of crazy work ethic. And I know that like, I was just raised with a solid work ethic in terms of. Oh, you're a workaholic. Yeah. Me too. For sure. We're the same that way. Yeah. I work every minute I'm awake, I'm working. And then I sleep for like 15 hours at a time. So my grandpa and my dad always told me, don't do anything that jeopardizes work. I'm so, like, I try so don't. hard. I try so hard. But I hard. think it's different in entertainment. You have to think about it from a perspective then because I, I remember being like 14 or 15 and my dad told me, he goes, you're going to be a boss someday. Like you're not going to work oh, under people. I love that. And he goes, someday you're going to be in charge of things and you don't want those lines muddled. I mean... Like you don't want to be, you know... Be fun and free and experimental, like, on your time, away from work. I talked about this a little bit on here before, but I feel, okay, like, I feel in some ways, though, as a woman, you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't. Because here's the thing. I have never hooked up with a comedy club employee, ever. 
anywhere. I won't do it even on the road because right. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave and have a bartender talking about me or telling the next comic he fucked me. And also because comics are one thing. They don't book. They're not in, like, I don't want a manager at a comedy club to be someone I dated because now it's like, even, even man, here's what I'm saying though about you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't. There are men in this town who have cost me some gigs because I think they're butt hurt that I didn't go out with them. So I mean, you can't that's win. poor form just from a booking side of anything. But you can't anyway. prove it. Either way, but see, I never want that to be, I never want that to be a question. Yeah. If I don't book somebody, it's because they're not funny or ready. Of course. That's period. But you have but to I think never differently when that. you're a booker. Right. But also, we're probably in different positions in terms of... Um, well, people I aren't going to hit on you because they don't want to fuck up their chances of getting booked. Well, also, I'm 47, and so? I was in my heyday, like... Whatever, When bitch. I started in comedy. You're in your heyday now. <laughs> you're in your prime. You're probably no, horny you know. right now. <laughs> I know. know how it is. Like, <laughs> but also you have a guy now. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like... But so, I mean, but even still, like, that's... I think that there were kind of... When I first started in comedy, though, too, I wasn't managing a club. I was an event coordinator. So I basically booked, where? like, at the improvs. I opened San Jose. Oh, I forget that. Yeah. You worked at San Jose and Improv. Brea, I like that place. And I, then I was Ralphie's road manager for a year. Ralphie May. Oh, I loved him. Me too. We all loved him. He was amazing. What's your best Ralphie May story? <laughs> okay. Tell my a great fa- Ralphie May story. Okay, my favorite Ralphie May story. He didn't really drink when we were on the road, and I... Wasn't a big drinker, really, I don't No, think. no, no. Um, so, he did a gig at the Moore Theater Where's in that? Seattle. Okay. A historic theater, amazing, amazing energy, everything else. And uh, he... <laughs> he had... Not just a theater gig. He had, like, a PA, like, an appearance, like, a press appearance. Okay. But it wasn't necessarily a press appearance. It was um, this Headbangers Ball. Headbangers Ball. I know it. Like, it's, it's, I had that guy on my podcast. I forget his name. Yeah. The guy so, that does that. Yeah, yeah. So, he was, like, a guest there. And he went up and he did, like, promo for his theater gig. But we hung out and, like, attended the event all night. Yeah. Um, and the theme of it was pimps and hoes, which was already <laughs> hilarious. Perfect for Ralphie. Uh, and we know Ralphie was obsessed with little people. <laughs> yes. um, and they had little people, Santa and Mrs. Oh Claus and elves and pimps and hoes. And it was the best thing ever. At the Headbangers Ball press At the thing? Headbangers Ball, like just at the event. That sounds amazing. And he was immediately enamored. But anyway, we're at this huge event and... He wound up in, like, the talent area, of course. So we're up in the talent area, and they give him, like, a shit ton of drink tickets. Well, he wasn't going to use them. Uh-oh. He gave them to the midgets? He gave them to me. Oh, shit. <laughs> he was like... Yo, D can fucking drink me. D can drink anybody under the table. So at one point during this event, I went, and it was the lines for the bar were so long... That I went and just cashed all 20... And he had the you-can-get-anything. They weren't limiting what he got at the bar. Of course. So I went and got a tray of 20 Patrons. Shots? 20 yes, Patron 20 shots. Patron shots. For yourself? Well, For I whoever the wanted tray, them? And I was like, I'm just going to take these. 
back to this green room. You're a psycho. How many people were in the green room besides Ralph? It was who was the opener? It was like I don't remember. remember. Yeah, <laughs> like, I really don't. But it wasn't a comedy show. It was like music. It was yeah, for yeah, that yeah. rock station. Ball, so. Right. Um, he was the only comic, like, just hanging out up there. He was just hanging. He wasn't he was performing or anything. No, he went literally to introduce a band and do press. I love it. And so we're up there, and that was kind of the, the benefit of doing it, is we got to hang out and enjoy this really cool event. Um, but we're in this green room, and I, to this day, don't know who the guy was. Because I was guy? already kind of high. Who you fucked? Um, no. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So I'm sorry. Brought... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a little buzzed. Go on. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, so not sure who the guy was, but he was talking about how much he partied and how uh-huh. much he could drink. And so Ralphie had me sit the tray on the oh, table. No. And oh, no. And straight up Raiders of the Lost Ark style no. it with this guy. And he's like, you're my assistant. Do it. (laughs) No, he was like, he was like, Diesel, you got this. And he knew I could drink this guy under the table. And so I proved him right. I don't remember leaving. I barely remember leaving the event, but I think I polished 12 of the 20 and homeboy did eight before he tapped out. Yeah. Holy shit, D. I I can't imagine, dude. I have so many good Ralphie, like, but my, that was like one of my favorite road stories where we, it was just the two of us on the road and I could barely, I was, where like, was that? It was, oh, the, yeah, it Seattle, was you the, said. yeah, it was in Seattle. Was that when he was, he took the bus the whole time, right? He hated flying. No, when I was working with him, it was his pre bus days. Oh, really? So he was flying we then? flew to Seattle. Interesting. I miss him. It's so crazy because this was like 2006. I don't want to say I knew something was going to happen, but Ralphie, the reason I loved Ralphie so much, and you know this about me, there's not a lot of dudes in comedy that never try to fuck me and come at me. Like, don't get me wrong. Ralphie's a dirty son of, was a dirty son of a bitch. Like, this shit he would send me was hilarious, but he would tweet it at me publicly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he would publicly tweet dirty stuff at me, but then he would DM me right away and go, hey, you know I'm not trying to bang you. I just think you're hilarious. I want to support you. You're hot. People hate on you. Let me help you. And then he came to see me perform at the Dirty at 1230. He wasn't even on it. And I had a great set. It's the first time I met uh, Rich Voss, too. I love Rich and Bonnie. Rich Voss is so funny. I let him... He showed up at Stress Factory when I was headlining it. I'm like, do a guest spot. He was so funny. I was like, I can't fucking go on now. He murdered so hard doing like 10 minutes, of course, because he's amazing. So is Bonnie. But uh, anyway, Ralphie came that night and Ralphie always flirted with me, but he was never like hypersexual. And then like towards when he died, I, I don't know what was going on exactly. But he was getting, like, the texts I was getting from him in the middle of the night were so different from anything. I, it was crazy, like, I don't want to say too much because he's dead. Rest in peace and he has kids and stuff. But it was just, like, not Ralphie. It was out of character for Ralphie. It was, like, 80 texts in an hour, like, boom, boom, boom. And it was, like, I just want to tear that monkey up. fucking. Ba-. It was, like, what Joey says to me in real life, but in text. Well, that's how I met. I met Joey through Ralphie. Of course, because they used to, were they roommates or I, I forget? Well, they when were like I brothers. met, yeah, because Joey would come over like often during the day to Ralphie's, and we worked out of Ralphie's house in Hollywood. I lived in Brea at the time, so I would drive. Yeah, they a were a couple really of close. days a week and just like work out of Ralphie's house, and um, and it was not uncommon to walk, you know, 
Joey knew, dude. You know, I saw Joey the night before. Or no, sorry. Yeah, the night before Ralphie died, I saw Joey at the comedy store. And I said to him, you know, I texted Ralphie a few days ago because I knew he was sick and he hasn't got back to me. And that's not like him. He always replied. And Joey said, I don't know, man. I talked to him. I have a feeling something's going to happen. And the next day he died. Uh, and how crazy is that? And the day- I was eating too much food at a Mexican restaurant when I found out. With Dude, my aunt. Do you know when I found out? I was on my way to the LA Podcast Fest, not to bring down the mood, but to do Burt Kreischer's podcast live at the LA uh, Podfest. And we both found out on the way there. Uh, and like we got there and we were like, what do we do? Do we do it? And we're like, well, there's an audience. There's like 300 people. It's like in a hotel ballroom. And we were like, I guess we'll just do it. And we did it. And it was hardest. It was one of the, the only thing harder was Brody's. And what's crazy is that Joey lived with Brody too, Joey Diaz. And a lot of people don't know that. I don't know if lived together. I just know that they lived so close to each other that he was, yeah, he was like always over the, like always over at Ralphie's. That's the weirdest thing in comedy is going on stage when something like that happens. And the night Brody died was the worst because it was a theater. It was a 5,000 seat theater in Vegas. And it was one of those theaters that was a spotlight on you, so you couldn't see a soul. Wow. Yeah, so, like, it's harder that way because at least if you can connect to people in the audience, you're like, there's humans here. I can connect to people. I can see them laughing. I can hear them. But when you're in a 5,000-seat theater and you can't see a single person and every joke, I know my set was so bad that night because I didn't want to ever pause for laughs because I just didn't want to ever stop and think. So every joke I told, I just would tell it and keep going. It was like, I just didn't want to have a moment where I stopped and thought it was rough. But Joey's so different. I'm not a fan of the big theaters, like as a comedy fan, because I've never gotten on stage, never wanted to, never thought about it. Oh, you're doing it. We're going to make you do it. I'm just not, it's just, it just doesn't interest me, but I love the art form and I, I'm a true comedy fan. Like I love to watch it. I know you are because she come, like even when you weren't working in comedy for a little while, you always were, but you always, even when you weren't working at a club, you were always like running a showroom at a bar, running a showroom in the desert. Like you always kept your foot (laughs) in comedy, which is how you know. But I love that too. Like Rich Voss said that about me. He said, the reason I liked you is because he did a spot in the belly room on like a Tuesday and there was nobody there. And I went up and watched him and he was like, I like that she watched because she likes comedy. Yeah. You like comedy. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, where were we going with that? I forgot. You brought that up for a reason. You said, I always loved comedy. Oh, theaters. I agree with you. Clubs are better. Yeah. I don't like how, because to me, comedy is such an intimate thing. It's a guy in a mic. I'm just saying. You know, it really is. Like, at the end of the day, we can put a lot of fluff around, you know, a a thematic night or, you know, let's throw some videos in or let's throw some sketch in and make it kind of vaudeville. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, a stand-up set is a guy in a mic. That's it. And it's either funny or it's not. Yep. And that, to me, is, like, the hardest thing. Like, even a musician, unless you have a super trained ear... They can fake through a crappy set. And you know what else? As a musician, because I've done everything. Like, I mean, I was like a trained theater actor. Like, my first job 
in entertainment really was uh, acting in theaters in Chicago. Like, I was, like, a union theater actor. And then I did voiceover. And also, I played music before. Like, I've done all... I used to want to do music. When I was a kid, I would write, like... I would write, like, Christian acoustic rock and go play it. it. I swear to God. And I would go (laughs) play it at coffee shops in, like, Cleveland. But the thing is, when I started comedy, I was terrified... Because it was the first time in my life, there's nothing between you and the audience. Even a guitar is a barrier. That's why sometimes not saying there's anything wrong with like a guitar comic or a prop comic. But it is a little bit of a shield when you have a guitar, when you have anything between you and the audience. Because when it's just you and a mic. That's it. That's why I say it's the blue collar talent job in Hollywood. Because you can know everyone. You could be my best, best friend. But if you book me in that room and I bomb, you're not bringing me back. Like, if I bomb twice, you're like, well, you can't play this room. That's it. You can't book your friends if they're not funny. You can come for the nachos. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's real. That's why, like, um, it used to get in my head when people would talk shit and say, like, Kate's getting spots because whatever, people want to fuck her or whatever. Or whatever. People say Dalia because his dad. But at the end of the day, if Dalia was bombing... It doesn't matter who his dad is. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's true. bringing you, you know? Yeah. If you could give, like, any... And at the end of the day, even if a booker decides not to book you, that won't matter. An audience won't continue to come see you. That's so the bigger you thing. you be, like, uh, the biggest name on the planet. Yep. And if you you're right. suck at comedy and, well, you're trying to, and you're bringing them out for comedy... They're not going to continue coming to watch you. They're not going to continue paying to see you. That's exactly. If that they're is not good. To- so tr- That's why Joey, like Joey instilled it in me so hard. He's like, because I was getting offered some headline gigs on the road before I felt like I really had it. And you have to at some point take the leap. But you get offered an hour in a B room, a C room. That's different from like an improv. Right. But, you don't want to play an improv before you're ready because the truth is, if you're not good the first time, the next year when you are good, those people aren't coming back or telling their friends. Like, nope. you're kind of fucking yourself. So yeah. I always was, like, careful with that. Like, I, I remember when I first got asked a headline, I knew I didn't have the time yet, and I was like, well, I don't know what to do. I've heard stories about comics buying material from, like, retired comedians. Have you heard that? I mean, I've heard a little bit of everything. I'm not a fan of... I'm not a huge fan of uh, of buying of buying letting other people write. No, I think that that's okay. But I do think at a certain point, like when you get when you're huge and you're like Seinfeld, huge. That's different. I feel like that's different because I think it's important to still have relatable material in your voice. Like at the end of the day, there's a point where people get so huge they forget what it's like to struggle and to be a normal person. My sister went to see Chelsea Handler a few years ago. Not to, I love Chelsea Handler. I think she's fantastic. But my sister went to see her a few years ago. And Ben, opened for, ben Glebe opened for her, which he did often. And my sister said, we actually like the opener better just because a lot of Chelsea's material was kind of about, like, flying first class with your dog and, like, just stuff that we were like, it's funny, but we, it's not, like, relatable for us. And I could see that happening eventually if you're not still... Yeah. You have to stay funny to people. They just spend 40 bucks on a ticket. Dude, but that's why also... You know, or 50 or 75 or 125 in a theater. Whatever it is, yeah. But that's why also <laughs> I think a guy like Dave Chappelle who moves to Ohio and... Like, Dave Chappelle still fucking kicks it at... Bar- I met Dave Chappelle at a bar. 
in LA, not a comedy club. I was at a bar. Yeah, but he keeps things so down to earth. That's what I mean. He keeps it that way on purpose, I think. So he's still in the, like, he's like a regular dude still. I think he keeps it like that on purpose. I, I do too. I feel like that's why he moved to Ohio. I 100% agree. The first time I met Chappelle, did I ever tell you the story? I was at a bar and he was hanging out there. And this has only happened twice. I went out to a bar purposely to avoid comedians. I was like, I want to go to a bar. I'll see no comics. And both times I met like a famous comedian. The first one was they Dave had Chappelle. the same idea. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And I saw Chappelle, and he was by himself. And it's weird in L.A. because famous people here, you don't want to bother them. But sometimes they also don't want to be totally alone. So it's like a weird dynamic. Like... But I think it's different because you're a performer also. So I don't think it's like you're some crazy... No. You don't get it fan either. No, yeah. And you have a following and recognizability on your own. But when I met him, I was like three... I was just starting to feature. I was like three years in maybe. And I went up to him and said, Hey, um, no pressure, but I'm here with my girlfriend. We're hanging out. I'm a comic. You're welcome to join us if you want company. But if you're just chilling by yourself, that's cool. And he was like, I'd love to. He was totally by himself. She came and sat. It was me and uh, Chelsea Schalk. Do you remember Chelsea? She used to do yes. some weird burlesque comedy show. Yes. At the so he comes and sits with us, and we start talking about Ohio, because he lives there, and I'm and from, you're there. from there. Yeah, we start talking Ohio, and then he goes, how funny are you? He straight up goes, how funny are you? And I go, well, I'm just starting to feature. Like, I'm funny, for sure, but, you know, I'm not you. And he goes, well, I can never take you on the road. I try to fuck you, for sure. That's a quote. And I go, thank you. I'm glad that you're honest. I appreciate that. But that was my first encounter with him. Since then, I've met him many times, you know, and he's so cool. Um, I do have another question for you. Okay, here's the question. I'm going to do another dating question, but actually, I just, I do have a lot of comics that listen to this, and you have booked for a long time and been in the game. If you could give, like, one piece of advice to comics starting out, has anyone ever asked you this? Yeah. I'm sure. You're probably sick of this question. No, but it's fine. What would it be? <sighs> I mean, you book one of the... This is like... Don't like, rush. Don't, don't put time limits or expectations on where you're going to be or supposed to be. Like, let it grow. That's the best I advice. I think people compare themselves to other comics. They get locked in their head. They feel like they should be somewhere at a certain time. Oh, yeah. And... I think that's that stunts growth. I agree. Like, don't you know? Just it's let yourself not to, grow and find your vo- and find your voice. Yeah, and and I think people get confused what that means. Find your voice, but you know what? When it really hit me, finding your voice. I think the best way to describe it is one: when you finally feel like you're being yourself on stage and you don't care about their reaction. I mean, you want the audience to laugh. Of course, it's comedy, but when you really finally here's an example. Oh, last night. We were talking about you. I ran into King Kadar. I love him. You guys may or may not know King. He is on the latest episode of Insecure on HBO. He's a hilarious comedian. Um, black dude. He was the first comic that took me to the J-Spot, which was J. Anthony Brown's club in Inglewood, which just closed. And the J-Spot... I was is, so sad to hear that. Me I too. I felt like that was such an important room. I wanted to go back there because that was the first club that ever paid me. And I was horrible. It was the blackest club, you guys. It was like like <laughs> it was late night J-spot. at the Apollo Black. Yeah. yeah. For people that don't know, though, we're talking pimp black, like like guys with canes and top. Like, for real. <laughs> Anytime I go there, I'm the only white person 
always. So King took me there, said, I think I can get you up for a few minutes. I went up, I bombed so bad because I was trying to do a black comic. I was trying to be all the black comics were like high energy, like fucking dancing and shit on stage. And oh I was, no. I tried to match that, uh-uh. bombed, come off stage. The booker, his name was Count something. <laughs> I don't know. Just Count. DJ Count. Yeah. I don't know. He booked the club. He goes, I'll pay $20 every Friday to come to a set. Just because I was like white. They just needed like a white chick in the club. So I would come every Friday and bomb. And then that's how I found my voice. Because one night I was at the club and I was like, you know, I'm just going to do what I would do at a, like a white belly room bringer show at the comedy store. Like I'm not going to try to do placate to them. I feel like it's also though... I, it, it, do you remember when you came, and I forget which night it was that you were performing, but you mentioned... Where? Here. Oh. When you mentioned giving the audience a break. Oh, definitely. Like, so just giving them a break and the wherewithal to, like, recognize that and adapt your set and, and adjust your timing. Those are all parts of finding your voice that I think young comics take for granted. That doesn't happen overnight, and that's how I spot a seasoned comic. I think that's what I mean by being yourself on stage, too, yeah. is what it is is being in the moment instead of being attached to your material, meaning, like, you'll see new comics, and I did it, go on stage, and no matter what happens in the crowd, they just stick <laughs> to their jokes, jokes like their script. Yeah. And they might even, for one second, react to something, but then they go right back to their script, and it, the thing about that is you can see the difference... Because there are even professional comedians who are amazing joke writers who talk over the audience. They're not connecting to anyone there. They're telling their jokes. And they're great jokes because they're great joke writers, so they still make it. But for I feel that the best comics, like legit, to me, a real comic is so in the moment and connected to the audience that if something happens where they had to scrap their whole set and do crowd work the rest of their set, they could. It's like, I don't know, to me... Finding your voice is just the moment that you are yourself on stage. It might be an amplified version of you, but it's you. I think, it, like, yeah, it's that comfort level, too. It's, it's that. that comfort level. Yes. The first time I realized that, because I didn't really understand, I knew it was something that was said, and I was a huge comedy fan, so I knew what I liked. But when I was, like, five years in... I didn't have the wherewithal to explain to somebody what finding their voice was. It's hard to explain. I knew explain. what was funny and what wasn't. It's hard to explain even when you're a comic until you get but it. But I think when I started to see it, what I saw was, um, I was like five years in, I saw Patton Oswalt. And he oh, was nice. doing, um, he was doing the Brea Club, which is in Orange County. Tons of Republicans. <laughs> He's not. And he did... I. And I watched him. He had the audience. He had the audience. He had the audience. And then he did Bush material. Ooh, and you lost him. And I watched him lose the audience. Yeah. And at one point in time, he stopped in the middle of his joke and he goes, by the way, this isn't for you. This is for me. I'll get you back in a minute. Exactly. And the That's way it. he just stopped and just had this flow about it. And sure enough, he continued with his joke and his thought, got a mediocre response to that bit. And then immediately dove into something and had them back within a sentence. I mean, and it was magic to watch that. Yeah, I was like, that's what I was like. That's what it is to be that professional. That's the 
that's the best feeling in comedy when you and like everybody and I'm not by the way like comparing myself to Patton Oswalt but like you do get to a point where you know okay I got this 20 minutes of A material that they'll laugh at no matter what happens if I pull this out even if I'm sick even if I'm dying I could have pneumonia and be dying and sit down on a stool and there's like four or five bits that I just know if I say them they're gonna hit so once you have those it's so fun because then you have the freedom to lose them completely because you know you'll get them back. And that's like when you're like, that's when you're in your zone. There was a moment, I haven't put this up yet. I'm going to put it up online in D.C. I didn't tell you about this, but it was fucking amazing. In D.C., uh, I think I wore like, oh, this is so funny, actually, because you'll get this as a woman. Clubs always send a staff photographer on a weekend one night. Not here. You have them every night. But on the road, there's like Friday night, the photographer comes, or Saturday. They never tell you which. Right. So inevitably, it's always the night I look like shit. I mean, like, always. In fact, in in D.C., I purposely looked cute on Friday because it's usually the first night they send the photographer and then the photographer didn't come and then I thought they must not be doing it this weekend because they shot me last time and then Saturday night the photographer came and I look like shit not like shit but not great like I didn't anyway you weren't feeling it but I'm on stage yeah and I'm wearing um, a long sleeve shirt that says Burton on it shout out Burton I just got a Burton deal doesn't matter so Halfway through my set, I start thinking, I should get some photos not in this Burton shirt. I have a green tank top underneath, so I want to take this shirt off so I can get some photos in it. So, like, on stage, I never would have been able to do this when I started. Like, I was terrified to even pause. On stage, I started a conversation with a married couple in the audience because the guy was talking about how he trapped his wife with, like, amazing dick or something. He'd been married, like, 30 years. He's like, but I got her with this dick. It's because she let him think so. uh, I mean... (laughs) Well, that's the whole point. I was like, dude, you need to explain this. And I'm actually getting hot. I was like, I don't want a reaction, but I'm going to actually change right now. Wardrobe change. Sir, can you tell the audience why your dick is so good? Go. And I just put the mic down and I started changing and just let him do his thing and then grabbed the mic for a second and was like, we're still listening and put it back down. But I never would have been able to. I mean, this isn't a brag. It's just you need to get to the point where you can put the mic down on stage and do your own shit and not even give a fuck. Like, trust that the audience will be with you when you come back. That's it. Who was it that I saw take a bathroom break? Brad Williams has done it. I have never seen him do it, but I know it'll come to me. When the guy did a bathroom break, did he bring an opener on or did he just leave the audience No, he just said, I'll be right back. That is so funny. And now I cannot think of who it was. I don't know if I'd have the balls to come completely off stage and not bring someone on. But like Joey Diaz show on I feel like it was a taping though. Oh well that's different. Tapings are rough. It'll come to me. Joey I'll Diaz show on 420, a guy had a seizure in the club because he ate too many edibles. A seizure. And I'm on stage and suddenly the weed version of overdose? Yes. And it was the back of the room and the lights come on and I see a dude on his knees. And I thought they, they brought the lights up. And by the way, I was in the middle of my set. I was doing 20. I was at like 12. The lights come up and I'm like, is there a child in here? Why are the lights on? Because I saw a dude on his knees. I thought he was like giving the guy CPR. Like the guy passed out on the floor. <gasps> so the lights come on and then the whole audience doesn't know what's going on. So I'm still like trying to like make it funny, which it actually was until we knew. Then like security comes up and goes, Kate, this guy just had a seizure. 
Uh, paramedics are on the way. Probably you should stop telling jokes. Fraser hey. Smith should come Fraser say hi. Smith, yeah, Fraser Smith just got here. Hold on, I can't tell the end of this story until Fraser says hello. But the moral of the story is, I did the end of my set, and the guy lived, and everyone was fine. Fraser. What happened to the guy? What happened? On Joey Diaz's show on 420, a guy had a seizure and passed out while I was on stage. So we were just talking about how it went down, and we had to pause the show, and then I stayed on stage just by myself with the lights on, telling jokes with the lights on, and the wild paramedics were like, taking the guy. That must have been really good weed. It was amazing. Fraser, do you yeah. want to hop in for a minute, or are you about to go on stage? Well, probably not for another few minutes. This is my podcast, Date Fails. We're great. Uh, you guys, Fraser Smith is here, who's like not only an iconic comedian in L.A., but also hosts a radio show on I Sunday nights. Uh, That's yours. You have to hold it really close to your mouth. Oh, okay. Well, not that close. That's what they always say. <laughs> How do you think I got this job? Good night, everybody. Fraser, how are you? I'm good, my I'm friend. So, good to I'm see so you. I'm so happy to see you. It's what nice a, to see both of you guys. What a great surprise. My well, yeah, I'm here for Taco Tuesday. I'm I, just here for the tacos. I mean, the tacos are pretty good. They're the, good. Are the tacos from the Ice House or are they imported tacos? Do we know? Our cook makes them. Oh, wow. This, guys, it's a good deal at Taco Tuesday. It's like well, yeah. 20 he, bucks. He hijacked a taco truck. That's what happened. <laughs> do you ever eat at food trucks? You know, once in a while. Really? But you really have uh, have to be careful. I'm kind of afraid of them just because there's something about making food in a vehicle that freaks me out. Like, it can't be an A health code grade. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I do. Have you ever made food in your car? I always do, yes. <laughs> always. My, That's the only way I eat. Especially. It's the only way I eat. Oh, man. I wish I would have known you. Frazier, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Because you probably only have a few minutes. Do before. I get to sing something? What do I do? Um, well, the podcast is Date Fails. Oh, Date Fails. I've had plenty of those. Have you ever had, like, a horrific date? Like, something that went terribly wrong that's a funny story? You know, it would be a lot easier if we had uh, a date that went really well. <laughs> That would be a, more of a rarity for me. That would me. be a more rare story for me <laughs> yeah. as well. What's I've a, had several bad ones. What's the worst date you've ever had? Worst date I ever had? Well, it was probably my fault. That's all right. What well, was it? I, well, we, I was... Uh, it was your fault. I was it there. It was my fault. Guys, I went it was to, terrible. It was a, a, uh, I took my date to a party on, the, um, on, a, on a boat in the marina. It was a big party. Good start. And I knew the bartender. It was back in the days when I was drinking... And so he knew what I liked to drink, so he kept giving me the, you know, my drink. Before I knew it, I was completely hammered, oh, no. and I threw all the food from the party into the, uh, into the ocean. All the food? Yeah, all of it. <laughs> like $1,000 worth of food. And, and then I... Uh, <laughs> Holy shit! And I, and I found a, uh, a bullhorn on the boat, I guess for safety, and I kept yelling... Fuck you to everybody on the on the shore. No way. Yeah. And then I got uh, so hammered that at the end of the cruise, I wound up throwing over throwing up over my date's shoes. Uh, yeah, that's what happened. You know what? And I've... then I passed out face down on the ship. And did you get a second date? No. <laughs> that's a pretty good date, I did well, not. actually. That um, was my fault, though. You know what? Well, that's okay. I mean, either it way, it's, it's a good fail. Yeah. I, I don't like drink it. anymore. But so. now you're sober, so yeah. lesson learned. Maybe I learned something. Well, it seems like we have to wrap up. Things are starting here, guys. Shows are starting. Fraser's about to host hey, thanks Taco for Tuesday. having me on the show. Dude, I got to have you on for real, though. This I is know. like I a one story. I got plenty of more bad date stories. Oh, I believe it. Me, Millions too. Of them. I, I mean, don't know if that was even my worst. I puked on a guy's shoes, too. We've all Did been you? there. All right. Of course. 
course, who hasn't? We are a team. All right. Well, Frazier, I love you. Love Guys, you too. check Thank out you Frazier. For having me on. Sunday nights, uh, 95.5 KLOS yeah. FM, LA's Rock Radio. Sure. I'll play a request. Yeah. And we have Taco Tuesday. And Taco Tuesday. Every Wednesday here at the Ice House. Every Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Frage. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. D, we should wrap it up, I think, D. We've been on a long time. Uh, Frazier Smith, what a great surprise. I love him. I love him, too. All right. He's fantastic. He's the best, man. We're going to wrap it up in a few. Um... This podcast is a little disjointed, but that's because we're at an actual comedy club. There's, like, so much going on. There's people coming in now. I'm going to try to stay and do a quick spot. Uh, D, before we go, do you have any horrific date fails, terrible dates, terrible sex, anything? Oh, lots of terrible sex stories. Oh, well, tell Um, a couple. (laughs) So the worst, I think, I was married for some time, and then it took me a minute to get back on that dating horse. Like, I just wasn't interested at all. Me too. Um, And when I finally did, I had incredible chemistry with this person. Great conversation. Really good looking. Felt like kissing my brother. I hate that. It just sucked so bad because I was like, oh. I've had that a few times. And now we're not going to be friends anymore either. Oh, he was a friend? Oh. That's the worst, man. It was the worst, but here was the bad part. He talked the whole time. During sex? The whole time. At least he talked. I've had the same thing happen where the guy was silent, silent, silent. Like, that's even weirder. If he's doing it right, I don't care if he's quiet. (laughs) No, but if it's awkward and he's silent. Yeah, but when it was like, I was like, oh my God, I can't even hear myself in my own head. Trying to get out past this. So what happened? How'd you get out of there? I, well, well, I I wasn't letting him out of that that easy. And so at one point, oh, and I had a comic sleeping on the couch while this was happening, by the way. Of course you did. But at one point I I said rather loudly, can you just shut up and fuck me? What was he talking about? He was just speaking. Just Just in general. Yeah, like like a conversation. small Small talk. It was terrible. Wow. Just terrible. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. I had the exact same thing happen with a guy, but instead he was completely silent. Where we had, like, great conversation, the dates were good, but we had no chemistry, and then finally we, like, tried hooking up, and then he was dead silent, like, silent film silent, and there was no TV on, music, nothing. So it was, like, bad sex and just... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This shit was terrible. That's the worst, though, when you... Like, there's even a guy right now that I like... That he's great, he's hot, he's nice, he's cool. Everything about him is great. But when we kiss, I feel like I'm just kissing, like, a stuffed animal. I feel nothing. I mean, I don't kiss stuffed animals often, but you know what I mean. Like, nothing. No, I know. Like my uncle. But it sucks because I feel like with me, maybe that's only because he's good for me. I'm only attracted to guys that are bad for me sexually. Oh, even but even this guy, I felt terrible because I was like, oh, I'll never have to deal with that again. He was like a stage five clinger afterwards, and it was terrible. Oh, that happened to me with a comic. I can't say who it is, unfortunately. <laughs> but there was this comic. I mean, he practiced. I don't. Okay, I can't say that. Um, we just. I, we never should have hooked up. I only hooked up with him in the first place because I was annihilated drunk. This is like when <laughs> I first started comedy. I just got out of my marriage. I was like drinking way more than I like. I would get blackout drunk. 
and I fucked this guy. I think that's part of divorce. I think so. But it was a total mistake to fuck. Like, it's someone that I would never sober even consider. Like, it was a definite, like, I'm wasted. He took, I was vulnerable. I was into another guy that was, like, not texting me back. It was, like, a mistake. Fuck. But he, like, fell in love. I mean, love, like, for a year he was showing up. Plays. Even to this day, if I have a birthday party and he hears, <sighs> he'll show up. I mean, he is that kind of level of stalker. He would, and he tells people, he'll still go on the road to comedy clubs and tell people he used to date me because we fucked one time. And he called the guy I was in love with and told him, I hate this guy. But the point is, we all have those, the clingers. All right. Well, things are getting crazy here. I feel like we should wrap it up. I feel like you have more stories, though, and I should have you on again. Like, that's what I really Oh, think. anytime. Oh, my God, I love this. All right, D. <laughs> I would ask you if there's anything you want to plug, but it's basically everything at the Ice House. Everything at the Ice House. I'll be here Wednesday night hosting the 8 o'clock show. I'll also be here Friday night uh, featuring for Jim Florentine. I think that's my manager. My manager's here. What that's the fuck, amazing. Patrick? Hi. Okay, this is <laughs> random. All right, guys. This has been Date Fails. I love you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks Bye. for having me. Of course. <laughs>